0: In this episode, I'll take a look at what professional looks like when it comes to horse care. I'll look at what I call the factory training business model and why we need to change it. Uh, I'll also share a bit of my story about how I reinvented myself in the horse business and how that directly benefited my horses and their life. I'll also talk about why it's so important that heart-centered horse professionals learn how to thrive in the horse business, uh, not only so that they can have a fulfilling, sustainable, and profitable life that they can love, but because it directly influences the quality of life of horses. So this podcast episode is brought to you by For the Love of the Horse, Transform Your Business. This is a um, Uh, something that I've created, uh, and for the reason that when heart-centered professionals thrive, so do the horses. So for more information on how I help people with their horse businesses, you can go to dressagenaturally.net slash professionals. Okay, here we go. Episode 23, Improving Professional. I'm Karen Rolf, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony because, yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. So a little while ago, I wrote a blog about taking a fresh look at the standard for horse care in the horse industry. Uh, I also wrote a blog about how to love your life in the horse business. And I received so many supportive And really passionate comments and emails in response to each of those. So this podcast is kind of a combination, a continuation and a riff off of those two blogs. It's a subject that I am personally very passionate about. uh, For one reason is because about 20 years ago, I totally reinvented my life in the horse business. And that reinvention was a result of a combination of things. One was uh, kind of my reawakening to the fact that the happier your horse is, including how happy he is with his lifestyle when you're not around, and his lifestyle in general, and the relationship that he has with this human, the better the horse is going to perform. Now, I kind of al- always knew that. But at one point when I sort of re-naturalized myself, uh, that became exceedingly obvious to me. And the other reason that I needed to reinvent myself was because I was working so hard in the horse business, still not entirely making ends meet. And I became so burned out, that there was a point where I actually contemplated quitting horses altogether. So that was kind of a scary, scary place to be. Now, I started as a real backyard rider. So I started just a kid with a horse running around in the bushes, kind of doing what I want. I was not a a person who got their start in a training facility. So I've always had that initial connection with the horse as a very natural, very fun, very low pressure, uh, very joyous kind of situation. It was only later that I worked at you know, one of those fancy facilities as a professional. And now I've really rethought what it means to be professional. And here's some of the reasons why. Typically, if I, if I ask you to describe what a non-professional way of keeping a horse was like, you know, if you if, think of how you would describe it, and I don't mean poor care, I just mean kind of amateur, right? So um, there was a point when you know, when as a professional, if someone said, well, what's it like to be, you know, not professional horse care or an amateur, you'd think, oh, lots of dirty horses turned out with other horses. They're barefoot, long whiskers, fuzzy ears, bite marks on them, (laughs) a little rough around the edges. And if I asked you to imagine then you know, what picture pops in your mind if you think of really top professional horse care? You would probably be thinking of, and this is what I used to think of, that, you know, the epitome of professional horse care would mean sparkling clean horses groomed impeccably, blemish-free, kept in these beautiful stalls, maybe with brass knobs on the corners of the stalls, limited solo turnout. They all have shoes on, impeccably trimmed muscles and ears, right? So, you know, I, I don't think I'm probably too far off, right? So that's that would that's not an unusual way to define the difference between the two. So uh but it's interesting because What does that have to do with being a professional or not? And which of those is actually more ideal for horses in general? So let me tell you a story about um, my neighbor who's a dressage professional. And she had a young horse that she uh, got when he was really young and started him herself and then was selling him. So he was about maybe four or five at the time. And she had been having some trouble with his feet uh, and with him keeping shoes on and getting foot sore. And she knew that I trimmed my own horses barefoot. And she said, you know, I just had the farrier take the shoes off. Karen, can you come over and just help me with his feet? So I did. And in a couple trims, uh, his feet were looking great and he was no longer getting foot sore. So she said, oh. I'm going to keep doing this. And I taught her how to kind of maintain them. And uh, I just check on them every now and then. And he was going great. And then there was a buyer who came to look at him. She loved him, came back with her trainer. And uh, the trainer was there for the, for the pre-purchase exam. And the vet took the, you know, did all the Hoof testers did the flexions, evaluated him for soundness, and actually even commented to the owner of the horse, uh, my friend, how impressed he was. And this is a funny statement in and of itself, but how impressed, of how sound he was, and how how good his feet were, considering he was barefoot. <laughs> I'm thinking it's because he's barefoot. Anyway, at the end of that session, the prospective buyer was getting in her car and the trainer came back into the barn and pulled my friend aside and pretty much, you know, chastised her and said, how dare you present a horse for sale to my client? That is incredibly unprofessional. It was unprofessional to present a horse that was barefoot unprofessional. So this is the thing. It seems like the thing to do to be professional is at some point shoes go on the horse. That's just the professional thing to do in some circles. Uh, So I thought that was rather crazy. You know, it didn't matter that the horse went better barefoot, that his feet were healthier, but it was professional to put shoes on the horse. This is a little red flag for me. And the trouble is that if you have this model that to be professional means your horses are um, always clean, always perfect, always wearing shoes, always living in stalls, then this becomes the model. And so, amateurs or students who are just trying to figure out how to best take care of their horse. You know what are they going to do? They're going to look to their professionals. They're going to look to the their instructor, and so you get into this um, this vicious cycle because the horses turn three, they get shoes put on. Now they can't be turned out with other horses, so now they're in a stall or they get turned out alone. And so at these young ages, they're not socializing. So then if they do get turned out, and if they do even accidentally (laughs) get attempted to put in with another horse, chances are they haven't had the social training. They're gonna go a little nuts. They're probably gonna pull their shoes off and probably gonna kick and bite each other. And then what most people do is then they put them back in the stalls. And the cycle continues. So, now, I know that stalls, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong about having a horse be put in a stall. In my barn, I have stalls. They don't live in them all the time, unless they're injured or sick, or for some reason, I need to isolate them or restrict their movement. And they have often free choice coming in out of the barn. And I know that sometimes my horses go and ask to stand in the stall for a little bit. I think sometimes horses enjoy the little safe place. You know, if they're used to being in a herd, sometimes, you know, sometimes you just want to be by yourself and not have your herd mates pestering you. So I get that there's a purpose, um, that there's a purpose for stalls. Most um, training facilities, you know, have horses staying in rosa stalls turned out in isolation. And there's a reason for that. And so I just, I guess I want to say that I do understand the reason for that. Often there's individually owned client horses that are coming in for maybe a short period of time. And two weeks is not enough time to acclimate a horse to a herd. And like I said before, maybe they have no social skills and to really get them acclimated to a herd would take a much longer period of time than maybe the one week, two weeks or month that they're in for training. So when I have horses coming in for short-term training, um, they're usually kept by themselves, you know, if that's what they're used to. Now, I have my facility organized so they don't have to stay in a stall, but that's another story. Now, another reason... Um, that horses are often kept in stalls is there's limited space and these facilities in order to make the income that they need and serve the number of people that they need to have in there to make the income um, they need to fill the space with as many horses as possible Um, and again I'll go into this a little bit more Uh, another reason that the training facilities get stuck in the cycle is You know some of the top facilities and top training horses well they're expensive (laughs) you know i think it does i get it it's probably really hard to turn a six figure horse out in a herd (laughs) go fend for yourself now it's possible it's doable but again not when you're in this cycle you're not going to just bring your you know half a million dollar horse and go hey let's just turn it out in a herd and see what happens there's there's some management and some steps you need to take in between, and so this is this is the thing we get in this feedback loop of um, trying to protect the investment. You know, we're protecting the horse, but really we're protecting the investment most of the time. Um, so you you keep them in. You have shoes on them because that's professional. So they can't go out. So they don't go out. So when they do go out, they often go crazy. And then they're brought back in again. And, and people are trained to think horses can't deal with that kind of behavior, that kind of lifestyle. They can't deal with herds. Herds are dangerous. And so, again, the cycle continues. The trouble is, one of the, one of the things with that is that there are just as many injuries and ailments and um, diseases that can come from, from that lifestyle. So the lifestyle that you're putting your horse in to protect your horse, that nice expensive investment, um, you know, you you think you're protecting them, but there's more chance of colic, more chance of what I'll call mental illness, uh, more chance of ulcers, more chance of tendon and ligament and muscle strains because you're standing still and then gone go out and ask to perform, you know, maybe with a 20 minute walk is all that they, they get to loosen up. Um, in pod, my podcast episode number 14, I speak with an equine psychologist about the mental, emotional and the psychological issues that come up when you keep a horse exclusively in a stall. So the, the protection, it's good for the horse, I'm keeping him safe argument for the industry standard of keeping horses in little rows of stalls. Um, it doesn't really hold up in, in, in my mind. And I think there's plenty of evidence of why that's not necessarily the best way to take care of a horse. So, and again, I get it. There's, there's short-term compromises that I think need to be made if you're bringing your horse in for training. At this trainer's facility, you bring your horse in for some training. And I think it needs to be uh, acknowledged that this is a, is a temporary compromise, or at least acknowledge that it is a compromise, that horses are not meant to be in solitary confinement. They're meant to be moving, grazing, socializing. So one of the things that I think needs to change, and I think it is changing, for sure, awareness has increased, is to just be aware and say, okay, what, what is the best way to keep a horse? And those horses out in herds being barefoot with a couple little scrapes on them um, is not an amateur way of taking a horse. It's care of a horse. That's a natural, that's a horse way of taking care of a horse. And the w- perfect horses in solitary confinement, in um, box stalls with shiny brass knobs, um, and never turned out and never socializing, is not the model for horse care. It's a temporary compromise based on the reality of a situation when you go in for training. Now, <laughs> um, like I said, I, th- I think I think awareness is changing. You know, the internet is is showing people that there's different ways to do things, and we have a lot more options. Um, a friend of mine who's a Grand Prix jumper rider in Italy, you know, he has limited turnout. But when you go to his place, he's got these huge arenas and he'll ride one of his international show jumpers. And when he's done, he lets it loose in the arena and then he goes, gets another one. And one horse is loose in the arena and he's riding the other one, jumping around it. And then he untacks that one and leaves it loose in the arena. Now there's two international (laughs) show jumpers loose in the arena while he brings out a third one and rides that one and students are riding around. And so there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of choice um, there's a lot of possibilities and socialization going on with these very expensive horses. They wear sh- shoes during competition season and whenever they can, the shoes come off. So he knows that the the stalls, the lack of freedom, the the shoes are temporary conscious compromises to meet a particular reality. But he also knows that that's not how horses, Ought to live when you look at the horse as just the animal. Now, I think I want to make sure that um, you know some of you might be listening. Some of you might be keeping your horses in areas where, like, oh no, like this is the only place I have to keep my horses at this boarding facility, and and that's the best I can do. And so I get it, and I don't want you to feel bad if you have to keep your horse in a situation like this, because it is industry standard, and there are not always a lot of choices, um, and just know, like, if you can think of every aspect of your horse's life, right, there's, there's his feet, there's his nutrition, uh, there's the socialization, there's where he lives, and how he lives, and your relationship with him, and then what does he do when he's, when you're not there, and what does he do when you are there with him, And all of those things kind of add up to to, um, make a cumulative uh, life quality, right? So maybe your horse has limited turnout and has to stay in a stall, but how can you enrich his life in all the other aspects, right? If your relationship is just amazing and when you are there, you go out and do really fun things with them. And maybe you go out with friends and that's when they get, your horses get a chance to socialize with other, with each other. And maybe you get a chance to take them out online and let them go where he wants and roll wherever he wants to do things. So that when he goes back to his stall, he feels, you know, he feels like, Hey, that was a good day. (laughs) You know, so I don't want you to feel like um, if you can't have, you know, your horse turned out 24 seven on this rooming heard of horses, you know, frolicking through the daisies that I I'm saying that you're being mean or cruel to your horse. And I'm not saying that at all. Um, we all have to make compromises. Um, but just to think about it that way and do the best that we can with what we have. So if we agree that the best lifestyle for a horse is where they do have a lot of movement, a lot of socialization, um, the right kind of forage that we assume that healthy feet is part of being a horse and if we have to put a shoe on for some sort of reason that we do it for a reason as we should use any tool or equipment we do it for a specific reason and if we don't need to use it we don't just automatically put it on if we're thinking about those um you know we can start to we can start to change what Traditional is right. So traditional is just a, uh, you know, what we do now is just a result of our history. And you know, I think it's important with everything to kind of pick our heads up every now and then. Go, how did I get here? <laughs> and do I want to be here? So we can start to think about, you know, all the little moments that lead up to this. You know, one of them was the example I used before. You know, you have baby foal out in the herd with the other baby foals. And at some point they come in at some point they're separated from all the other horses. That's one of those magic moments. And you can ask yourself, well, this is when we usually separate them and start having them live in stalls. And I think it's good for horses to learn, to be okay by themselves and to learn, to be able to handle being alone in a stall. Um, But there shouldn't be a point where you go, okay, no more herd for you. (laughs) You know, so that's a decision point, the decision to put shoes on your horse, especially hind shoes, right? As soon as you put those hind shoes on, it's kind of like, you know, it, 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 it's deciding that they can't be turned out with other horses. That's a big decision. So look at those little decision points and look at them really carefully. I think, um, You know, if you're the owner of a young horse, keep them in the herd for as long as possible, if not always. See if you can, if you have to put shoes on, can you take them off during off season? Hopefully things like boots for horses can start to be allowed in competitions. You know, we have to ask ourselves, why are boots not allowed in competition? Maybe it's because, People think that's cheating and you know, can can mask soundness, or maybe people think there's gonna be like spiky things or weights or something in the boots. Well, that's we can inspect the boots just like we inspect bits. You can have soundness jogs, make sure your horse is actually sound. I mean, I think if we want to make it work, there are some rule changes that we could do. And you know, in general, if you're the owner to just continually be the advocate. your horse. Uh there's a a student that I that I knew who was taking lessons with somebody else. And then she finally bought her dream property. And uh, you know, she could finally have her horse home with her. And so she bought, I don't know, 50 acres or something like this. And she built it from scratch and she built a beautiful house and a beautiful barn with some stalls and a little paddock and a 50 acres. She brings her horse home and he stands in the stall all day and goes out for a little bit in a little paddock and then goes back in the stall. And I was asking her why. And, and she's like, well, that's, that's how he's supposed to live. Cause she was modeling what her trainer did, not realizing that, that what the trainer was doing was a temporary, should have been a temporary compromise not a way of life so you know when she realized like oh she can actually turn them out and can and i helped her with how to get them used to being turned out because sometimes horses they don't they get scared they're out for a half hour and then they start to get worried and they want to go back in their stall and then people think well horses want to be in stalls no they just don't know what to do (laughs) and they have to be re-acclimated Again, so that's one of the reasons why it's so important to look at all these things and look at the professionals, but don't look at the professionals for everything. And professionals, trainers out there, you need to be a part of breaking this cycle. You need to ask yourself, why are you doing things the way you're doing them? And often, in this industry, we do things the way we do them, because it's the way that the person we learned from did it. And they did it because of the way that's what the person before them did. And this cycle continues. So as a trainer, you really are the model of the industry standard for horse care. Even if you think, oh, no, I'm a dressage trainer, a jumping trainer, you know, that's what I do. People are watching everything that you do. Students are watching, they're learning every way that you do things. And I'm sure, you know, having horses in stalls and going down the line, you know, they're already clean. They're already standing there. You don't have to go get them out of the pasture. It's easier. And I get that. But to be an advocate for the horse, to be a professional in the industry, I think you need to be an advocate for the horse. And not just the part of the horse that does the discipline that you happen to teach, but the whole horse. Hopefully you got into dressage or jumping or reining or whatever it is, because you know, you got into it first because you got into horses. And then you got into that discipline or that hopefully at the bottom of everything is your love for the horse. And so we also have to look at how we can get creative if you have a barn and you've got to put x number of horses in the barn or on the property in order to pay your bills and you know make a living you know you need this many horses in the stalls you got this many acres you got to divide it up into this many paddocks so the paddocks are whatever size and in order to get them all done in the day the horses need to be lined up and ready to go so i get it you know i used to have 10 to 12 horses in training you know, a a month and riding them every day, plus teaching lessons. And I get it. There's no time to walk out to the pasture and get the mud off. (laughs) So I do get it. However, I think there's room to think of how you can be a little creative and how you can have things efficient the way you need them to be efficient, but also giving your horses the freedom to be a horse and to have a lifestyle that a horse really enjoys. To talk a little bit more about this factory training business model, and what I mean by that is what I just said a second ago. Horses lined up in little boxes so you can go down the line and ride this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, and it's all super efficient, you know, from the stall, brush them off, they're not that dirty. Tack them up, bring them to the arena, bring them back, hose them in the wash stall that's right next to the stall, back in the stall. Super easy. Um, A lot of times the factory business model also is looking at what the barn down the road is doing. And you're always trying to not only pack as many horses in to get the income you need, but you're trying to play that game of keeping your prices low enough that you're competitive with the guy down the road. So these two things get into this this play where you're packing more and more horses in, lowering your prices, packing more horses in, lowering your prices because the lower your price, the more you have to do in order to make the same amount of money, right? And then you have you're working harder and harder, so you're in the cycle of exhaustion. And because you're exhausted, You don't want your horses going out and getting muddy and having to bring them back in because now you don't have time to do everything and your prices are low. So you maybe don't, aren't able to hire the help that you need. So you're doing it all yourself. So you're doing all yourself. So you're going to definitely keep the horses in and you're going to keep your prices down and pack more in. So (laughs) can anybody relate to this? So I get it. I've been there. Um, and when I, you know, I do some um, training for professionals in the horse business, and one of the reasons that I decided to start mentoring professionals is because I saw this connection between this factory business model and the horse's lifestyle. And you know, the the more you fed into this normal traditional factory training model, the worse the lifestyle the horses had. And again, you're You some of you listening out there are going, but I take really good care of my horses and they're happy. I believe you. You can enrich them in the way you train and by the way they get out there and feel good about their work. But there's still some flaws inherent in the system. It could be better. So at one of the seminars that I do for um Transform, it's called Transform Your Business. And I tell the story about how Um, In 2003, I was so caught up in the cycle and running myself so ragged that I found myself, you know, 10 to 12 horses in training a month, a waiting list of students. I was working, I was working, oh my gosh, 14 hour days. And at that point I was living in Manhattan and commuting on a good day, 45 minutes and on a bad day, two hours sometimes more. So it was pretty much, you know, up at six, home at 10, eat some takeout Chinese, go to sleep and turn around and do it all over again. And, you know, I maybe had some money left over at the end of the month. So I was exhausted. I was exhausted. I was so burned out that I actually thought that I might give up on the horse business. I had some other things I was interested in maybe I'll follow my illustration or something like that but I was ready to give it up and when you're in when you're in a place where you're ready to give up everything that you love you're actually in a great place to create and recreate right because you feel like I got nothing to lose and that's what I did So that happened to be the year that I, I came to Florida for two months. And uh, after six weeks, I called back home and I said, uh, I'm not coming back. (laughs) So, you know, I, it was a, a really golden moment to step away from how I was doing the horse business, because I realized that it was not the horse business. It wasn't horses that I wanted to give up. It wasn't even the horse business that I wanted to give up. It was how I was living in the horse business. So I stepped away. I came down to Florida and I had four horses with me and I sat and I was happy (laughs) and I was still working my butt off and doing everything myself, but I was happier and it gave me a little bit of chance to think. So sometimes you got to just stop what you're doing, take some time away and think for a minute. And so I sat myself down And I made a list of everything that I no longer wanted to do in the horse business. And I made a list of everything that I did want to do of how I envisioned how I wanted to spend my, my time with my horses. And it, it started to put me on a path that led eventually to me creating my dressage naturally program and really understanding the real value and the real unique expertise that I bring it, it helped me be much firmer uh, about my standards and my boundaries for my time. And you know, now I can feel the feeling of burned out from a mile away and I will not go back there. (laughs) So um, you know, looking back, I know that the decisions that I made and the way I changed how I'm doing things and the way I changed my business has a direct influence on how I keep my horses. So I bought property. And if I had, if I had gone straight from how I did things in New York in the factory training business model, and I came to Florida and bought property and tried to recreate my business. I probably would have um, built a barn with a lot of stalls, made sure I had enough separate turnouts so that I could have borders, right, and bring horses and training in so I could pay my bills and pay the mortgage on the property and pay for some help. Like that's that's how you do it, right? I mean, that's that's how you make money in the horse business as a trainer. But because I sat back and I made that list and I realized that now I'm a fairly introverted person, believe it or not, (laughs) and having worked at a a boarding facility with 80 horses on 30 acres, (laughs) I didn't want to be surrounded by boarders anymore. And I realized I didn't want to take horses in training anymore. I liked working with people and their horses and I liked training my own horses That was a luxury that I hadn't had for many years. So I wanted to train my own horses, help people with their horses. But, and I didn't, and I knew I didn't want to do horse sales. So here I was, you know, thinking, I don't want borders. I don't want horses in training. (laughs) I don't want to do sales, buying and selling of horses. And I'm like, man, like, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, those are, those are some of the pillars of a horse training business. But again, it it caused me to think about things differently and run my business differently. And when I started to really understand that I'm not just um, charging for an hour of my time, that I'm charging for my unique um, knowledge base and my experience. And um, it helped me package and present the information that I have in a really different way. And some of you are probably thinking, oh my gosh, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't have time for this. <laughs> well, if you're so burned out that you're going to quit, you're going to have lots of time. So you might as well take a little bit of time, <laughs> sprinkled throughout the day, <laughs> sprinkled throughout time now, rather than doing it the way I did, which was actually really terrifying, which is, you know, having to like think of quitting moving everything and landing somewhere where I had to start from scratch with no clients. So yeah, it was hard, but you know, it can be done. And you have the luxury of being able to do it with this knowledge of think about it now. Don't wait till you're burned out like I was. Start thinking, how can you do things differently? Hey, I just wanted to take a quick second to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by the Dressage Naturally Video Classroom. Yeah, that's my program. So if you love this podcast, you will really love the Video Classroom. It's where you can see me coaching students, narrating my rides on horses, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and so much more. So let's see all these words put into action. Check it out with a one-week free trial, and then it's just $29 a month after that. So even if you only watch one video a month, it is totally worth it. And we add new content every month. So what are you waiting for? Go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now let's get back to the pod. So now, you know, I teach who I want to teach, when I want to teach. I've traveled the world just the amount that I want to. I've traveled a lot. And then when I didn't want to travel, I don't travel. And then when I do want to travel, I do travel. I've leveraged, um, my business. I've taken some steps to figure out not just what do I teach one-on-one in the moment, but how do I have it? What's my system. And in knowing my system, I teach my one-on-one lessons even better and I have a way to present it to more people. So Me having broken free of that model is what's allowed my property to have two stalls. (laughs) I've got often like 10, 11 horses is usually around the average of horses I have here. Um, They live out, but they have stalls. If one needs a stall, they can have a stall. I have big turnouts and little turnouts and herds and different configurations of horses. And they get to live with a lot of freedom and choice. And I have enough income and I'm not exhausted. So I'm just saying this not to brag, but to give some hope. I was a one-on-one absolutely normal writing instructor, trainer. And now I, now I do what I do. (laughs) And the reason, the way I was able to do it was because I was able to take some time away, sit myself down, rethink and really see the cause and effect of me keeping myself in a lifestyle where I'm fueled, where I'm excited about what I do, where I've taken the to up level how I offer and present my expertise to people, and that it directly influences the kind of lifestyle that my horses have. You know, the trainer that owned the barn that I worked out, her horses don't have this lifestyle. They're in stalls and turned out sometimes until they start running around too much and then they go right back in. And they're never turned out with anybody else. And they're in the factory business model. And often I get horses in training. The ones that come to me are often the ones who come from that world and they're psychologically damaged. (laughs) Often, well, those are the ones that I see. So, you know, if you're an owner or a trainer who shares my vision of horses and what it means to have a a happy horse lifestyle, you know, maybe you feel stuck by your circumstances, but you can get creative. So if you're an owner, get creative, find ways to satisfy your horse's needs within the constraints of where you're able to keep your horse right now. And trainers, it's really up to you. You can break free of the model. You can do it differently. You can set the standard. You are the model of horse care in the industry. Don't just do things the same way that everybody else does without questioning or thinking about how else you might be able to do it because your students are watching. (laughs) Now, trainers, I have a, I have a, uh, a couple ways that I can help you. I have a t- intense two day seminar workshop that happens every February, and I also have a six six month long mastermind and mentorship program for professionals. So this is if you're a this is for professionals at any stage if you're just starting, if you're in the middle of it and you're working as hard as you can and you're like, oh, this isn't sustainable. <laughs> I can't keep this up. Or if you're starting and you're just trying to get more students or if you've already been burned out and you're already done, but you kind of miss it and you kind of love it and you just want to do it. You just don't want to do it the way you used to. So um, there's those two options. And all of this information can be found on uh, dressagenaturally.net slash professionals. And so if you're a student listening to all of this. Maybe you have a special teacher, you know, someone that you know puts the horse first. And if you have those, if you know a, a, a trainer who's a really heart-centered horse first kind of trainer, chances are they're out there running themselves ragged. <laughs> chances are that person is exhausted. Or here's the other kind. They're either running around doing everything they can to serve everybody or they're so humble that they don't market themselves or they don't tell anybody how fabulous they are or they don't charge what they should be charging. And so they don't have students and they are struggling in their life, but they're dedicated and they do it for the love of the horse. But you can do it for the love of the horse and still have a fulfilling and sustainable and profitable life. Because here's the thing if those heart centered horse first professionals don't thrive that's a shame because they're the ones who are going to make life better for horses so that's that's why i started mentoring horse professionals in the first place i never imagined i would be mentoring <laughs> you know horse professionals about business until i really saw the connection, that the way you do the business affects the horse's lifestyle. And if I can help the heart-centered horse-first professionals, the humble ones who are in service to their students, if I can help those people thrive so they can become the models of the horse industry, then I feel like I'm making the world a little bit of a happier place for horses so if you're a student listening to this and you know the very special person i'm talking about you probably are picturing someone right now a person that gives 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 to everybody but themselves and you know they can't sustain it that's a shame tell them about this tell them to go to dressagenaturallynet slash professionals send them this podcast <laughs> because there's things that we can do you'd be amazed at the things you can do to change how you do business. And on that page, um, dressagenaturallynet slash professionals, um, there'll be a couple of things you can do if you're listening at a time that's just before February, then you can click a, on the information about my event, the two-day seminar, because it's in February. And uh, at the bottom of the page, if you're listening at any other time, or even if you're listening before February, um, go to the bottom and you'll see a thing you can opt into called 15 things to stop doing in order to love your life in the horse business. Um, you can pick up that and get some, some tips on, you know, I, you're probably feeling too busy to, to do anything more, but there's 15 things you can stop doing. Oh, so I think, I think we'll wrap this up. And I hope you I hope you understand, you know kind of my perspective on how these things fit together and the importance of l- stepping back and looking at what you're doing, looking at what we're doing, redefine what it means to be professional, what that looks like, how you run your business, and then redefining what professional looks like as far as what a professional, you know horse care model looks like. I think a professional should model horse care that horses are happy with. (laughs) So let's reinvent what it means to be professional. Let's make sure that it means putting the horse first, helping horses live like horses with the best care and also the best lifestyle according to the horse where they can enjoy a life full of curiosity, friends, freedom, choice, whiskers and fuzzy ears healthy feet, and humans that feel rested and at their best so they can serve the horse and be excellent role models for students for a long, long time. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game, The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Until next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.